My name's Andrew, for those of you that I haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, um, and it's my privilege this morning to be opening God's Word for us. If this is your first time here at NBC, this is the time of our gathering where we focus our attention on God's Word, the Bible, and what He has to say to us. And let me just warn you in advance this morning that our sermon is going to be a little bit different to the approach that we might normally take. I'm going to unpack the scriptures for us, and then after each of the four key points of our sermon this morning, I'm going to give you two minutes or so to personally reflect on the applicability of God's Word for your life. So for that reason, let me encourage you, if you haven't yet grabbed a sermon outline, now would be a great time to go to the back to grab that and a pen. There's um, opportunity for you to record notes and key application points during the sermon, but then equally to reflect after each point. But I want to start this morning with a question for you. And I don't want to depress you, although this question might. How many of us here this morning are feeling a little bit tired? Can I have a show of hands? I confess my hand is definitely up. We had a, a day of packing and cleaning and throwing out yesterday, so the Smiths are pretty weary. But let me take it up a notch. How many of us here this morning are feeling just plain exhausted? Show of hands. Come on. <laughs> the poor exhausted people can't even lift their hands up that high. It's a, it's a <laughs> I was reading um, during the week from on WebMD. I don't know if you've heard of WebMD. If you haven't, don't go down that rabbit hole. Well, that could have diagnosed the fact that Jono needed a jumper when he was cold. But I was reading some of the indicators of physical and emotional exhaustion. I wonder, do any of these ring home for you? A sign of exhaustion is a lack of motivation. Zoning out, your mind wandering, having difficulty concentrating on something for any length of time. Fatigue, I think that's one many of us can identify with. Being absent-minded. A sense of hopelessness is a sign of exhaustion. Feeling apathetic about things that should move you to action. Irritability. I was wondering if there was going to be a few awkward sideways glances there. Increased cynicism. Those are all medical signs of physical and emotional exhaustion. And I was reflecting this week, after the last couple of years we've had, it's hardly a surprise that many of us are feeling those symptoms, is it? We had a horrendous summer two years ago of bushfires, cleaning out gutters, sprinkling our roofs to protect them from embers. It was a really hard season. And then not long after that, some members of our church family were evacuated as the Shoalhaven River began to flood. And all of that was just preparation for COVID and the 18 months that would follow. And if you've done homeschooling, you know what exhaustion's all about. And with that as our context, it's hardly a surprise that if this morning you were to type in, why am I so, into Google, Google's suggested response for you would be, why am I so tired? It's a question that many of us are asking. 
how do I keep going? How do I put one foot ahead of the other? I'm just exhausted. And God's made us holistic beings, hasn't he? Just as we can experience physical and emotional exhaustion, we can equally experience spiritual exhaustion. We've been reminded in our series in Philippians already that the journey, the road following the Lord Jesus can be a hard one at times, can't it? At times it can feel as though it's all uphill and the challenge is insurmountable. So we can experience the same exhaustion as we follow Jesus. Perhaps that's where you are this morning, struggling for motivation, having difficulty concentrating on God, feeling apathetic about things that should be moving you to action. Maybe you're overcome by cynicism, a sense of hopelessness, fatigue. And friend, let me say, if that's you this morning, if that's how you're feeling, you're in the right place. Because that's what we're going to be looking at together today. How to have joy even in exhaustion. We've been looking, you might recall, at the book of Philippians, particularly through the lens of joy over this term. There are many ways that we could have studied this book, but this is the particular approach we're taking during this term. And we're going to look this morning at how we can find joy, even when we've got nothing And here in this passage today, looking at Philippians through this lens, Paul points us to four places we need to look. Four places we need to look to have joy, even in exhaustion. The first is there in verses 12 to 14. How can we have joy even in exhaustion? Well, you'll see there on your sermon outline. We need to keep our eye on the goal. Let me read verses 12 to 14 again. The Apostle Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You might have noticed as I read those words that Paul makes the same point twice here. As believers in the Lord Jesus still living and serving on this earth, we haven't yet reached our goal of knowing Christ perfectly and reflecting him in perfection. And because we haven't yet reached that goal, we don't stop. We don't coast. No, we press on. Like a runner competing in the games, the Apostle Paul here urges us to strenuously pursue our goal with single-minded devotion, to fix our eyes on what lies ahead. Every muscle engaged, every energy reserve expended towards that goal 
of knowing Christ completely. I don't know about you, but as I read Paul's words here, I, I can't help but think of the runners that you sometimes see at the Olympics. You know, they, they burst out of the blocks at a million miles an hour. They, they push through the pain barrier in the middle of the race. But sometimes as they near the end, sensing that they're out in front, they look around and seeing that no one else is there, they kind of coast to the finishing line. They don't stretch forward to the finishing line, but they straighten up and relax. And from what Paul says here, it sounds as though that's what the Philippians had begun to do. They'd started out strong, and Paul has rejoiced in that. They, they had received the gospel with joy, and they had grown in the likeness of Jesus. But it seems as though they'd perhaps begun to coast a little before reaching the finishing line. They'd lost momentum as followers of Jesus, were in danger of taking their foot off the pedal, thinking that they'd arrived when in fact they were still short of their goal. I think if we're honest, that's a temptation we all face as followers of Jesus, isn't it? To lose momentum. We might have started out strong as a follower of Jesus. The, the Bible was alive. We were telling everyone we knew about Jesus. But after a while, perhaps it's the exhaustion of the journey that we begin to coast. It's a particular danger, I think, for those of us who have been following Jesus for a while. It's so easy for us to, to pull up early, to, to not press on or strain forward, to think we've reached the goal when we're still short. If you're wondering here this morning if you might have fallen into that I've got some good questions for us to ask ourselves. You're going to see we're in keeping with our medical theme. We're going to take a very diagnostic approach to the scriptures today. Here are some questions we can ask. There are four. This is the first one. Are you still growing as a disciple? That's the first question to ask yourself. You'll see there's a spot there on the sermon outline for you to write that down. Are you still growing as a disciple? I wonder, do you look back with a sense of thankfulness, maybe even a little pride at those times in your life where you experienced real growth as a disciple of Jesus? But if you're honest, those days are in the past and you're pretty content with where you're at now. Perhaps even content being stuck in some ongoing patterns of sin. You're at a point where really you're more focused about staying on the path and not falling away than you are progressing in the faith. Are you still growing as a disciple? If not, you're coasting, spiritually stagnant. A second question. Do you invest in and disciple others? Are you investing in and discipling others. Can you name the, the three or four people that you're 
intentionally investing in right now? People that you're discipling that they might go and disciple others as well? Are you intentionally investing in others? Or has church become really a social group and you fail to connect with anyone outside of your friendship circle? If that's true, you're coasting. Third question. Is your primary source of joy how you've served Jesus in the past or how you're serving him now? Is your primary source of joy how you served Jesus in the past or how you're serving him now? Do you look back with great satisfaction to your days as a Sunday school teacher, an elder, a deacon, a school scripture teacher? but you don't really find any joy in what you're doing now. We saw last week the Apostle Paul had a pretty impressive list of credentials, didn't he? But we see here in this passage, he says, no, no, I forget all of those things. I focus my energy on what God is doing in and through me now. The past, that's, that's not the focus of my concern or my confidence. No, the prize ahead is so much better. And so I don't look back lest I stumble. And my brother and my sister, can I say, if you did serve Jesus in the past, but you're not serving him now, it's likely that you've slipped into coasting, into thinking that the job's done when God has so much more for you to do. There's no retiring in God's kingdom. Now, of course, the ways that we serve will change over time in, in line with our energy levels and our capacity. But if all you do right now is consume, you're coasting. If all you do right now is wait for people to serve you rather than stepping out and serving others, you've grown lukewarm. If you see need, but you don't act in response, you're coasting. Take, for example, an internal service opportunity that we have here at NBC right now. Every second week, we have two faithful ladies, Pauline and Wendy, leading us in song. And Ryan has extended an invitation, I think for three weeks now, for others to come and to bless the church family and glorify the Lord in song. I suspect, I suspect there's more than one person in this church that's able to lead us in song. Is it possible that we're coasting? That something that should inspire our hearts to action has not? A fourth key point. Do you have a heart for the lost? you have a heart for those who don't yet know Jesus? What energizes you? Is it church politics or is it reaching the lost? Are you more energized about Wednesday night at a church business meeting than sharing Jesus with this community? Are you more moved by, by policy than mission? Unmoved by empty seats here and neighbors damned to hell? If so, we're coasting. 
my brothers and sisters, these are all good but hard, very hard questions for us to ask. But they're important questions for us to ask, aren't they? And to ask of ourselves regularly. Because I know of my heart and perhaps of yours, the natural tendency that we all face is to drift into to look back with satisfaction to past service, to past growth, and to fail to press on to the goal. So what do we need to do? Well, Paul shows us here. The antidote is quite simple. How do we keep going, keep serving, keep faithful, even when we're tired, even when the road has been tough and we're exhausted? The answer is simple. We look forward. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. We forget the past and look forward to what's ahead. Now when Paul speaks about forgetting here, he's not speaking about a passive loss of memory, as if there was something particularly sanctified about being forgetful. If there was, I'd, I would be the holiest person on earth. No, it's, it's an active forgetfulness that he's talking about here. The, the active, continuous discipline of our mind and our heart to disregard the past, to forget those things that hinder our forward progress. Now, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead is going to look different for all of us. Perhaps for some of us, as we've just seen, it's past service and nostalgia we need to forget. Our pace is being hindered by backward looks at bygone days. Perhaps we need to forget past service and press on with energy. Perhaps for others of us, it's past failures that we need to forget. We exhaust ourselves day after day, carrying around the weight of our past sins and failures. We need to remember God's promise that he will forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. We need Hebrews 8.12 pinned on our fridges. Perhaps that's what you need to do. You need to forget what's behind and release yourself from the bondage of those past and forgiven sins. For others of us, it's past hurts that we need to forget. That's what's stopping us pressing on. We, we dwell on the way that others have hurt us, the way that others have betrayed us, the way that others have lied, and so we find ourselves unable to move on. We need to forget the past and forgive and press on. How do we practically do this? How do we forget what's behind and strain towards what's ahead? Well, friends, most fundamentally, I think we need to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day. We need to remind ourselves that nothing in our past is beyond God's grace. No sin is unforgivable that can't be covered by the blood of Christ. We need to own that and rejoice in that. We need to give thanks and honour him for the way he's empowered our past service 
acknowledging that that was God's work in and through us. But not just giving thanks for past service, but praying that he might empower our future service. We need to seek forgiveness where we've hurt others and forgive those who have hurt us. We need to pray daily that God would enable us to take our eyes off all that might distract us and focus on Christ alone. That Christ might be our pure and holy passion. I'm going to give you a moment now, trusting and relying in the work of the Spirit of God in our midst, to apply these words to your heart. Are you perhaps coasting? Have you taken your foot off the pedal? Is God calling you to a new season of mission and ministry through NBC? Do you need to forget the past? Do you need to forgive? Do you need to process and then press on? What's God calling you to do this morning? I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to think and to reflect on that before we move on. Feel free to take notes, to pray, however you'd like to process God's word to you. need to keep our eye on the goal, focused on Christ alone. Because ultimately, friends, that's the key. The key to forgetting the past is to keep our eye on who we already are in Jesus. Having urged us here in verses 12 and 14 to press on with all of our strength, lest we lose heart or feel exhausted and ill-equipped for the task, Paul goes on to remind us of our present status in Christ. Verse 16. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Here's our second key to joy in exhaustion. Remembering all that has been bestowed upon us in Christ. In chapter 2 of his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul declares that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him 
in the heavenly realms in Christ. Because of Christ, God has forgiven us our sins and clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus. Because of Jesus' work alone, as we saw last week, we are credited with the merit of Christ. As Jesus himself said in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall ever snatch them out of my hand. Remember, Paul says, what God has graciously given you. You have complete security in him. I don't know if you've noticed in the scriptures, but the scriptures regularly speak about our salvation in the past tense, so sure that it is, so secure it is. And so, friends, even in exhaustion, even when we've got nothing left, we can be sure, as John says in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God, notice present tense, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Our status as God's children is sure. But yet we're not yet what we will be. That will come when Christ returns and the kingdom is consummated. That's the now but not yet of the kingdom we talk about. And so friends, we press on. But we press on to what we are already assured of. What we already have in Christ. Our confidence is grounded in the grace that we've already received. So friends, please see, our assurance is a stimulant, not a sedative, to obeying God and furthering his glory, to keep going even when we're tired. I wonder, how do you need to better own, to better understand, to better apply who you already are in Christ. Do you need to put to read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 every day to remind yourself of, of who you are in Jesus and what you will be? Do you need to preach the gospel to yourself every morning to remind yourself of your identity in Christ? I'm going to give you a moment or two to reflect now. What do you need to do to remember who you already are in Jesus.
if it's any help to you, what I do to remind myself of this is what I just suggested. Turn to, we have a friend inside the building. She's just gone out the door. That's a relief. That would have been a distraction for the next 20 minutes, wouldn't it? I turn to Ephesians chapter 1. When I feel inclined to doubt, to doubt the assurance of my salvation, to doubt my power, which is insufficient, I turn to Ephesians 1 and remind myself of those truths. Let's take a look at a third key to joy even in exhaustion. This one's down on your sermon handout as well. Keep your eye, keep your eye on those who imitate Christ. How do we keep going when we're tired? We keep our eyes on those who imitate Christ. You might have heard the the saying, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And as we've seen in recent weeks, imitation can be useful for us as disciples of Jesus, provided we're imitating the right people. Let's read verse 17 again. Paul writes, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Just Notice before we move on the the corporate, the together language there at the start of verse 17. We're going to come back to that. But look, I think particularly in Aussie culture, we like knocking down tall poppies, don't we? The the temptation can be to think that, that, that all this fame has got to the Apostle Paul's head here, can't it? Fancy saying to someone, be like me, imitate me, follow my example. We might think that's a bit off, but lest we're we're tempted to think that things have got to Paul's head, we need to see that Paul says something very similar at the start of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says this, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You see, Paul makes explicit there in 1 Corinthians what's implicit here. He wants the Philippians to imitate him to the extent that he imitates Christ. He's not interested in the the Philippians imitating his preaching style or his personality. No, No, he wants them to imitate them to the extent that he imitates Jesus. Paul's already highlighted Timothy and Epaphroditus as role models who fit that description. And here he says, keep your eyes on people like that. Lest you get discouraged on the journey, lest you feel weary uh, weary on the narrow road. No, be intentional. Use discernment. You're going to need it for this. But find those who imitate Christ and follow their example. Emulate their generosity. Copy their sacrificial service. Mimic their prayer life. Imitate them as they imitate Christ and display the fruit of his spirit. And be encouraged and inspired by their example. I don't know if you're feeling the weight of those words like I do. But there's a real challenge 
for each of us here who profess the Lordship of Christ, isn't it? It's a challenge that's impossible to ignore, but gee, it's confronting. Can I say, can you say, as the Apostle Paul does here, join together in following my example. Keep your eyes on those who live as I do. Are you someone who's worthy of admiration and emulation? Do you pursue holiness with all that you have? Do you teach others by your example? If someone was to observe you after our service today, are you a fine example of greeting newcomers, encouraging those who don't know Jesus, drawing conversations away from criticism into profitable talk? Are you an example of Christ-likeness? Now, of course, none of us are perfect. Our, our sanctification is a work in progress until we reach our goal in the presence of Jesus. But that doesn't lessen the challenge. If someone was to model themselves on your pattern, would they be on track as a disciple of Jesus? If someone was to base their devotional life on your attention to the word and your prayer, would they be following Jesus wholeheartedly? If they were to base their character, their attitudes, their treatment of others on yours, what kind of believer would they be? What a challenge. To be able to say as Paul did, think as I do, act as I do, pray as I do. Friends, I want to encourage us this morning to be intentional about modelling that to others. I was having lunch on Friday with a member of our evening service and they were sharing with me what a, a deep and profound impact godly brothers and sisters had been in their life who had intentionally sought them out and who had modelled what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we were chatting a little bit about the, the challenge of having different generations largely represented at our two services. So I want to challenge you this morning. Why not? Make the decision under God to attend the evening service here at NBC Redford. Not to hear the same sermon twice, although there is benefit in that, but to intentionally disciple and invest in others. Many of us here this morning have been following Jesus for many decades. We have much wisdom to share. We have a godly model to be followed. Are we? doing that with other people? If we're only connecting with people who are in similar circumstances, it's hard for them to imitate you as you imitate Christ because there's no contact. I wonder if you might commit for a season to intentionally invest in believers who are that bit behind you in the journey, that they might imitate you as you imitate Christ. So important, friends, that each of us are and that each of us have role models like this. 
Because if you weren't convinced yet, Paul goes on in verses 18 and 19 to show us just how easy it is to be misled by a very different group of mentors. Now, there's a bit of debate in scholarly circles about exactly who it is that Paul was speaking about here. Whether he was talking about people who were outside of the church community, or perhaps whether he's speaking about those who might identify as believers, even connect with a church community, but who show through their actions that they're not yet believers. Now, I actually think it's that latter group. People who are identifying with the church, but are showing by their actions that they're far from Christ. Why do I say that? Well, do you see here that he's moved to tears by their behavior? I don't think Paul would be moved to tears by unbelievers behaving as unbelievers. He'd kind of expect that, wouldn't he? He seems to know intimate details about their lives. But I think perhaps most conclusively, he seems to deliberately use the word peripateo here, which means walk or live, it's translated in the NIV. That's the same word that Paul often uses to describe the Christian life. So rather than walking according to the example of the Apostle Paul, these false believers are modelling a different walk. Verses 18 and 19. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul's painfully aware that the Philippians, just like all of us, are, are inundated with bad examples. People whose attitudes and behaviours contradict the cross of Christ. You see, the very purpose of Jesus' cross was to deliver us from sin. But these false believers model the exact opposite. No, they've abandoned holiness to indulge the flesh, whether that be through sex or food or pleasure. And the implication of Paul's warning is clear, isn't it? Don't follow the example of anyone who encourages you to sin. Don't follow those who have no regard for God's word, who are living just to please themselves. And friends, please see, picking up the collective language that we saw back at the, verse, at the start of verse 17, there's a really important implication for us here as a church. Because what we tolerate is what we affirm. What we tolerate is what we affirm. Let me explain what I mean. In a church community, we have a God-given responsibility to speak the truth to each other. This is what we're instructed in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Do you notice there that each part is to do its work? We all need, 
to gently correct and challenge each other when we see sin beginning to take root in each other's lives. Whether it be something like grumbling and complaining that we looked at a few weeks ago, something even through to adultery. Friends, if we don't do this work, these sins can easily become accepted in a church community and become a polluting pattern leading others astray. What we let go, we affirm. Our actions speak louder. There's a lot for us to reflect on in this point, isn't there? Am I a model worthy of emulation? What areas do I need to look at that I might say, follow me as I follow Christ? What poor examples, what poor models am I following? Or perhaps, what hard but important conversations in this church community do I need to have? Let's take a moment or two to apply these words to our hearts. Before we move on to our last point, I've got to name something. This is hard, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard to keep focus. It's hard to stay focused on the goal. It's hard to remember our identity and our security in Jesus. It's hard to not fall into the temptation of following bad models. So it'd be really easy for us to sit here and feel even more exhausted at this point to feel the weight of this even more. That's why Paul gives us one last instruction here, to keep our eye on our passport, to keep our eye on our passport. I'm thankful that you let me return to the pulpit after sharing my dirty little secret with you three weeks ago about my love of reality TV. And having shared that with you, it's not going to surprise you that one of the shows that I really like is Border Security. Sadly, it's not on anymore, but it's probably on one of those kind of secondary channels. But I used to love watching that show. And one of the things that I used to find fascinating, kind of funny, is the panic that people would go into when they were holidaying or living overseas and they would lose their passport. You know, they would, they would, they would rock up to the embassy, you know, sweat, you know, pouring off their, off their brow, saying that they have a flight in four hours and they've lost their passport and what can they do? Or perhaps they were an expat and they've, they've misplaced it. 
it was really disorientating, really scary for them. Because there is something comforting, isn't there, about that little book that we've got that declares who you are and where you belong. And here Paul encourages the Philippians and us to find joy in our passport. Verses 20 and 21. Paul reminds us, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. When times are tough, when you're exhausted, when you've lost sight of who you are, when you're tempted to follow bad examples, look at your passport, Paul says. Remember that you are a citizen of heaven. Look at your passport and remember that one day soon, Jesus will return and he'll transform us into his likeness. Remember that unlike the the poor models we just looked at, we don't await destruction. No, we're waiting for deliverance. We don't focus on indulging our bodies now. No, we're awaiting their transformation. The day is coming, Paul says, when faith will be sight and we will be with Jesus. And so chapter 4, verse 1, we keep going. Final question for you. I wonder, what area of your life really needs to be influenced by your heavenly citizenship? In what part of your life do you need to remember your passport? Is it at work where you struggle to be a Christian light? Maybe it's your sexuality where you're tempted to indulge the flesh now rather than wait the joy of glory. Maybe it's in your relationship with family. Maybe it's in how you spend your time. In what area of your life do you really need to remember your passport? Let's have a think for a moment. Friends, it's my earnest prayer for you that you might find rest in Christ. That as we saw last week, that you might find rest from striving to earn salvation, from striving to be good enough and accept the free gift of grace in Christ. To accept Christ's sacrificial death on the cross as punishment for your sin and to enter into the rest that he offers. For it is only Christ that offers rest for this life and the life to come. But it's equally my prayer that we might be restless in that rest, 
that we might not be content to coast, that we might not pull up short, but that we might shine brightly and serve diligently for Jesus, that we might joyfully endure for Christ, that we might keep a strong pace to the end, awaiting that day that we just looked at, when Christ will return and we will exchange our tired bodies for heavenly ones. May we press on to glory and find rest even in exhaustion. It's all about where we look. Let me pray for us. Our Lord God, we thank you that your word speaks ever so powerfully to us here in Philippians 3 and 4 today. Lord, we confess that we find ourselves often exhausted often losing sight of the goal, often pulling up short, often following those who are poor examples, losing sight of our heavenly identity. Lord, each of us fall into different temptations in this regard. And Lord, I know that your spirit living in us has prompted each of us here in this room and online in different ways today. Lord, by the power of your Spirit, please enable us to step obediently into what you have called us to today. Whether it be reigniting our fire for you, recognizing that we have fallen short and that we need to press on with energy and endurance. Lord, whether it be finding role models that will inspire us on the journey, being those role models ourselves, remembering our citizenship, Lord, whatever it might be, please may we not be mere hearers of your word and so deceive ourselves, but doers of it, we pray. We can't do that by our strength. Please fill us with your power, the power of the resurrected Jesus who will empower us now and ultimately transform our exhausted bodies into heavenly ones. May that hope ignite our hearts, and empower our service. And we pray all of this for the sake of Jesus. Amen.